Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 273. Good to be back home in South Florida for a few days before heading out on the road again. Just got back from the Frederica Cup in St. Simons Island, where Vanderbilt captured the team and individual title with a mind-boggling performance. It really was the perfect storm. You got wide fairways at Frederica, greens are pure, there was no wind, soft conditions, some of the best collegiate players in the country. Now, the teams did bring six players and counted five scores. That's a little different than the five-count-four method. But Vanderbilt shot 69 under par and only beat Oklahoma by three. William Mall from Vanderbilt won the individual title at 19 under par. He beat his teammate Cole Sherwood by one. Um, Lots of teams played well. Oklahoma, Texas Tech, Georgia, Mississippi State, Ohio State. Lots of positives for these teams to build on. And uh, yeah, Vanderbilt has been picked number one or two in preseason polls. Basically, it's uh, North Carolina and Vandy to start the season as co-number ones. And they are both playing up to that ranking. My next tournament is a women's collegiate event. I have made it a mission for this season. I want to get more of my content focused around the women's game. So I am heading to Madison, Wisconsin for the Badger Invitational. Notre Dame, Indiana, Iowa, North Florida, Rutgers, and of course, the host school, Wisconsin. I've never been to Madison. I'm lactose intolerant. Please send prayers and well wishes. No, I'm kidding. I'm really excited for this trip. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, to covering some women's golf. So on to this episode with James Pyatt. After a great collegiate career at Michigan State that included him winning the Big Ten Freshman of the Year, Honorable Mention All-American, and multiple individual wins, he has started his professional career with Live Golf. This is the first time that Liv has been discussed on an episode here at the Back of the Range. As you all know, the Back of the Range focuses on amateur and collegiate golf. I've had a couple of pros on here and there, but the amateur game is kind of our lane here, so to speak. But I knew that I wanted to talk a little bit about Liv, but every time that I turn on Twitter or Golf Channel, uh, it was just too much. I just, it's, it's not what we do here. I don't, I don't tweet about live, analyze it, gossip about it. It's just not my thing. What I wanted to do was to actually have an open and honest conversation with one of the young players that ended up signing and going to live. Really get to know the decision-making process that went into making the non-traditional jump to basically a, a startup tour. James has always been open and honest in every interview and chat that we've ever had. We've kept in touch over the last year, so I reached out to him, pitched him on the idea for the episode, and there was no hesitation. No, let me get back to you. Just a simple, yeah, let's do it. So you may have your own opinions on Live and the PGA Tour. Will it grow the game? Should the Live players get official world golf ranking points? I have my own opinions also. There's a lot of hot button issues in the world of golf, but this chat with James Pyatt is just his open and honest experience from the last 12 months of his life. 
from winning the USAM at Oakmont to preparing this week for the live event in Boston. Before getting into my chat with James, I want to briefly talk about the year 1916. Now, you know that we're all about recognizing amateurs here at the back of the range, and you pr- and you probably don't know that the 1916 U.S. Open was won by the great amateur Chick Evans, who at the time set a new U.S. Open scoring record. So, great year for Chick Evans. You know who else had a great year in 1916? Imperial. Yes, Imperial hats, known for their legendary quality and signature fit, have been around for over 100 years. But you already know that because you're listening to the back of the range and you're a serious player and you probably already have an Imperial hat or visor by now. I can't think of any club in the country that doesn't sell Imperial hats. Now, here's something you may not know. Imperial has partnered with the back of the range. Yes, they have created a brand new collection of hats, visors, and shirts with the back of the range logo on it. They believe in supporting my efforts to provide more coverage of amateur and collegiate golf, and they want the listeners and the followers of the back of the range to be able to show their support while wearing Imperial products. You already wear their hats. Now you can wear them with a back of the range logo on it. Now, I know right about now you're waiting to hear about some coupon code, you know, something like BOTR15 that'll give you, I don't know, 15% off your first order at imperialsports.com. And even if there was a coupon code that existed, and let's just say it's BOTR15, is that really the takeaway here? That by using BOTR15 at checkout, you would get 15% off your first order at imperialsports.com? No. The message here, the message here is that Chick Evans won the U.S. Open as an amateur in 1916. So don't let me down. Don't let Chick Evans down. Go to imperialsports.com, grab some gear from the Back of the Range collection. The easiest way to get there is to go to thebackoftherange.com. And um, and yeah, that that coupon code totally works. Don't forget to check out the website, thebackoftherange.com, for all past episodes, social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You know where I am all the time. Let's get this episode started. James, again, welcome to the Back of the Range. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on. You're, uh, yeah, you're one of the few guys who's uh, stick with me through the amateur career and onto the professional ranks. So I appreciate being on the back of the range. Always uh, one of my favorite podcasts to listen to and be on. Well, I appreciate that, James. And I can tell that you're driving right now. So I'm guessing that there is you don't have a Coors Light in the cup holder. But if you were doing this at home, <laughs> I would say crack a Coors Light because this is going to be fun. But I, <laughs> but you're driving, so you're not doing that. For the record. Yeah, we're on business hours right now. Coors Light's uh, after hours activity, so I'm not cracking them at a you know 10:30 in the morning. I'm not at that point in my life yet, so no, I hope uh, I don't get there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> let, don't don't go there. So now we're talking. I can't believe we're starting this episode talking about Coors Light, but seriously, uh, <laughs> you knocked down quite a few of those as you were holding the Havemeyer Trophy when you won the USAM in 21, and obviously you're playing professionally right now. And I haven't seen a Coors Light logo on a shirt, hat, or bag. So is that the case of your agent is not doing a good job? Or conversely, your agent is really smart by not allowing that to happen because that would mean free Coors Light for you for life probably. Yeah, you know what? We're going we're gonna to talk about that at a later date. But actually, it's funny. I'm kind of doing 
I'm doing the polar opposite right now. I just got a new sponsor this last week, and it's a nutrition coaching company. So it's a little opposite of Coors Light, ironically, but uh, still a Midwest guy and enjoy my Coors Light. So it is what it is, but uh, love where I'm at right now. What have you learned about the level of your fitness and nutrition that this company has told you? Have they said, oh, dear God, we have a lot of work to do? Well, so we just got uh, connected this past week, actually, a few days ago. So I told him, I'm like, listen, we got to make a plan because I just started doing one of those diet trackers on your phone. And I'm like reviewing my day the other day. So I always hit the gym in the morning and I'm like, all right, after the gym, what do I eat? And I'm like, well, let's see. I had uh, boneless chicken wings for lunch, skip breakfast, and then I had uh, a pizza for dinner. So I think we can improve no matter what. So. Yeah, mixing in some veggies and some salad would be nice. But right now, uh, I'm still living the college kid, eat what you want diet. And uh, being out there weighing about a buck fifty and half the size of anyone else, I could uh, sure use uh, all the proper nutrition coaching I could uh, I could get. <laughs> okay, so what you're saying is the boneless wings and the pizza that's that's bad. I mean, I'm I'm 46 and I've I've given up hope. So that's so that's bad, is what you're saying. You know, if you're going for the the cut six pack look, six pack look, and the uh, Rory McIlroy build, uh, you know, it doesn't do it for you. But you know, it sure tastes good, so it's fifty fifty. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you're going to get in trouble. You got plenty of time, dude. You got plenty of time. Um, well, I, I appreciate you you joining me, and and you know, just for listeners that follow the back of the range and and follow Instagram than what I put out. I mean, clearly the back of the range is very much devoted to amateur and collegiate golf. I'm sure that if you wanted to find some information about what the latest news is between Liv and the PGA Tour, I think it's available on social media elsewhere. I mean, it's hard to find anyone talking about Liv, and I'm being very sarcastic, as I hope everyone's figuring out. <laughs> um, but, you know, we talked before we started recording this episode, and I really I knew that there would hopefully be an opportunity where you and I could catch up talk about maybe your last year really from winning the USAM to now playing live the decisions that that led to that the tournaments basically just you know having a free and open conversation about just what it's like to actually make that transition from college to professional golf on a brand new tour so i again uh, you know i'm glad we're we're able to do this and um, I appreciate you, you coming on to to talk about Liv. So before I start peppering you with questions, I guess go we go back a year. You know, I don't know anyone that really can be prepared for what would happen after winning a U.S. Amateur. And, you know, I guess we can go back to Tiger Woods. He was the last one to defend. But comparing the buzz and media attention in the mid-1990s to today's media landscape, it's really you know, for as big as Tiger was, it's really two completely different animals. You win the U.S. Amateur at Oakmont in 2021. You're immediately the face of amateur golf. You go back to Michigan State for your final season. And these six months of everyone wanting time and a picture and a, an appearance and annoying golf podcasters like myself, what were, what were those six months like? Oh, man. I mean, they, I tell you what, they flew by. I look back at this past year, and it was by far, obviously, the coolest year of my life. And, you know, every day I wake up and just know how lucky I am to be, you know, in the position I'm at. Because there's, one thing is there's so many good college golfers. I mean, we were just talking about it earlier before we started. I mean, if you look at Frederica this past week, and guys are shooting seven, eight under, like, no problem. So just to be where I'm at every day, I'm like, wow, you know, extremely grateful. But uh, 
I mean, the past year, look back at it and just the memories, you know, my first tour start, I think about Bay Hill and trying to tee the ball up on the first tee, my hands are shaking so bad. I'm like sitting there, it's, I start on a whole 10 dog leg right. And I'm thinking, you know, usually you're thinking, you know, let's aim at that tree branch out there and hit it straight there. This is like, for me, it's, oh crap, don't hit a spectator. That's like, you know, the thought process out there. And then I remember lining up a putt on my first hole. I got a four footer for par. My hands, I always step behind it. And I got a line on my ball and I'll hold my putter up to make sure the line's exactly where I want. My hands were shaking so bad I couldn't even line my putter up with the ball. Oh, man. So, I mean, just those memories and the first tee shot at Augusta. I mean, I look back to that week and I'm like, that was so cool. Just, it felt like you're hitting it down a shopping aisle off the first tee. And uh, my favorite memory, one of my favorite memories, Augusta week was, I mean, Tiger Woods is the group in front of me. And uh, we're sitting there on the practice green by one tee there. And there's Tiger Woods, Justin Thomas, Hideki, and then me. And we're, you know, JT, Hideki, and I are the group behind TW. And TW hits last putt, throws his putter in his bag. And then pops a piece of gum in, and then the whole crowd just freaking erupts as he's going to the first team. And all three of us on the putting green just stopped what we were doing, just stood there like, oh, my God, this is, like, not even real life. It felt like I was in a football stadium in that moment. But that was uh, that was really cool. But, I mean, the whole past year, it was, like, cool experience one after another. I mean, playing alongside guys I, I grew up watching on TV now. And it's, like, every week, you know, I, I know I'm on a first-name basis. Like, this is so crazy to be like, I come home and everyone's like, hey, have you ever met, you know, DJ or Sergio? I'm like, yeah, I had dinner with Sergio, you know, a few weeks ago. I mean, it's so, it's been such a wild experience and I've loved every second of it. And, uh, you know, the golf hasn't been what I wanted so far, but, you know, it's, it's a learning process and just being out there is extremely cool and extremely blessed to do what I do. How much of a comfort was it to go back to school after winning the USAM. You know, a lot of, you know, I mean, Sam Bennett just won this year. He's going back to Texas A&M. But for a lot of players, it's kind of the swan song of their amateur career. They win the USAM and boom, they turn pro and they're off to the races. Was How much of a benefit was it for you to be at Michigan State for, for another season just to kind of, I guess, maybe acclimate yourself to what's to come? Yeah, I mean, going back to Michigan State was awesome. I mean, well, I'll get into two stories on this. So, for one, I was in the fall when the weather was nice. I was back on campus, but I was lucky enough as a fifth-year senior with minimal credits to work out an online schedule for my spring season. So, uh, in the fall when I was there, it was it was really cool. I mean, I tell you what, just being around the team, that's what I love. And I miss the most about college golf. I, tell, I, I was actually at Michigan State yesterday practicing because I'm headed down to Chicago and I was on my way, and I was like, Guys, you don't realize how cool this part of your life is. I mean, having that support group around you, you know, your teammates, making the memories you do. And uh, I look back at college golf and I say, if I had another five years, I would do it in a heartbeat because it's such a unique experience and the places you get to go. And uh, it's funny, I, I tell people the things I remember most about college golf are the the bad experiences that ended up being great stories, like the worst golf shots, the team dinners where you're stopping at rest stops because there's nowhere, but also, you know, the world-class experiences like the team trips. We got to go to Pine Valley, things like that. But, um, and then also, you know, hang out with the team on the weekends. The, the coolest part after the USAM was I was, I was in the VIP line at the bar a lot when I got to go. So <laughs> for a golfer to get... The golfer to get the VIP treatment 
I remember uh, the first week after the AM, we went to the bar and uh, I got contacted with one of the owners and it was the first time that football players went with the golfers and they got in VIP because the golfers were there in front of them. So it was like, it was pretty funny that night taking that. I took the Havemeyer trophy down to the bar there and uh, it was, it was a good night, but um, you know, that was cool. And then for me actually in the spring, so with minimal credits, I got to do online classes. So I hung out in Florida most of the time. And then whenever the team would get ready for a trip, I would fly back to East Lansing to fly with them wherever just to get, you know, maximum practice in on, you know, Florida, hang out in Vero Beach with uh, pretty much with the old people. So I felt a little different. But anytime I was up at school or with the team, I'm like, this is awesome. I wish, you know, I wish I could go back and just do it again because that whole year was it was a blast. I'm pretty sure that I saw the Havemeyer Trophy last, um, other than obviously Sam Bennett, but I'm pretty sure I had my hands on it um, more recently than you did. I didn't inspect it for damage or dents or marks. Do you feel that you returned the Havemeyer Trophy to the USGA in the exact manner that you received it at Oakmont? True or false? Oh, that would be uh, false. Uh, I'll give you a, actually. A, I was totally setting you up. I so, love it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll give you two pieces on this one. First and foremost, my caddy was the one to break the trophy, not me. Okay. I, I texted Robbie, Robbie from the USGA. I'm like, hey, Robbie, uh, yeah, you won't believe this, but we broke the trophy. And he was. He was laughing about it. He loved it. Uh-huh. I mean, he was he's like, all right, you got to tell me how you did it. I'm like, no, no, my caddy actually did it. He goes, come on, dude. I'm like, no, I screwed up. My caddy was, we had uh, some donors or a recruit there, and we found out the lid screws off. Oh, yeah. Like, that, that's, a that's, later, a rookie, but, yeah that's a rookie mistake. See, that's that's when all things yeah, go bad. Yeah. I told um I told Ty, I'm like, the one thing I'm upset about when you called me the night I wanted, you didn't tell me the lid comes off. But um, when uh, when my caddy was taking it off, Dan, to show the the donors, he uh, he's, there's a wire that holds the lid on. He snapped the wire off and broke the half of wire. So I'm telling the USGA people, and they're like, dude, you got to have a better story than that. I'm like, I wish I did. Believe me. They're like, we would have appreciated if you broke it any other way. I'm like, seriously? I'm like, I broke you know, one of the most famous trophies in golf history. You guys aren't even upset. They, they were loving it. So I actually tried to get them to make like a, a fake bill up to say, hey, the, the repair of the Havemeyer cost $6,000. Send that to my caddy. But yeah. uh, I let the info slip too early. We, he, he caught on to it fast, but it was uh, it was pretty funny. But uh, yeah, the, the thing we'd like to show people is the inside of the trophy probably hadn't been cleaned in like 10 years. It smelled like straight Coors Light. And it wasn't from me. It was from somebody else. <laughs> but uh, I remember talking to Sam the night, you know, he won. I didn't actually get to call him right away. I was on a trip back from Asia, so I was bummed out. But I was texting him. I'm like, hey, dude, just so you know, I can't tell you much about golf because you're already a stud. But I can tell you one thing. I go, the, the top of the trophy screws off. And I wish Ty would have told me that night one because I would have been drinking a lot of beer out of that thing. That's So awesome. that was one of my, as a former champion, yeah, I told him, I go, I'm going to be the guy who's 70 years old, still contacting USAM winners. Not about golf or life advice, but about just letting him know the trophy lid comes off. That's all I want him to know. <laughs> That is awesome that you're like, okay, I know that I have a professional career and, and a whole life in front of me, 
but I'm going to make sure that the night of the U.S. Amateur Final, I get in touch with that year's champion just to basically <laughs> share. That's so cool. I mean, I think that's the coolest part of the, you know, drinking out of that trophy is, it's sweet, you know, and uh, the amount of great players and the history of that. Yeah, I think that's, for me as a Midwest guy, and that's, you know, the Super Bowl of amateur golf, winning that and having that opportunity. I think that's, that's cooler than anything else in that moment. Did you, um, I think we talked about this previously, did you, did you watch the final match between Bennett and Carr or, or you caught highlights? I think you might have been flying. Yeah, so I got to watch the last nine holes on my, uh, I was coming back from South Korea, actually. I was uh, at an Asian tour event. I got COVID that week, actually. So I was in my hotel room, but I don't have any streaming services yet. I can only watch Netflix because half the things were banned in Korea as far as, I don't know how all that VPN stuff works. But So I didn't get to watch any of it. I was just scrolling through my phone, updating USGA app every day just watching the matches that way. And then I finally got to watch live coverage on my flight and uh, see Sam get it done. But it was awesome to, to watch that week. I mean, the setup was so cool. The, the match was an awesome match. I mean, it's just classic USM golf where it just looks like a battle out there. And in my opinion, there's, there's no better event to watch. Just seeing the spectators, how close they can get to the players. And, you know, just two guys battling it out just – you know, it's all passion, all that work you put into to get there and uh, see it pay off for Sam was really special. I, um, you know, I've been to a few USAMs, obviously, years at Oakmont. I saw something that really excite, excited me that I didn't really expect to see, obviously. But, you know, Ben Carr makes birdie on, on 17, I mean, the 35th hole, but he makes it on the 17th green. And I see people in the gallery take off and start running down the 18th fairway at Ridgewood to get into position. And I'm thinking, I mean, I stopped. I was basically right there on 17 green with a camera and I stopped and just watched that. I'm like, this is the coolest shit I've ever seen because you expect to see that at like a, a, a PGA tour event, a live event, a, a major. I mean, you expect to see that at the next level is kind of what I'm saying. And no, these people are like, holy shit, this is really happening on the 18th. This is coming down to the 18th hole at the USAM, 36 holes it took, and they take off start, and they start running. I thought it was the greatest thing. Yeah, and I mean, they did that. It's funny, too. They did that at Oakmont. Actually, my college coach and my brother did that on 17 green. Once I hit my bunker shot over the green and I had to play another one, they they left that green and started running to 18 to get a good view because they didn't think I'd get it done there. So there's a funny story. So my, my college coach and brother missed my winning putt on 17 because they <laughs> they were like, oh, no, this is going to 18. we got to get a viewing spot. So I thought that was pretty funny seeing that on TV too. That's right. So that was the – that was the – okay, 17 at Elkmont was that drivable par four, and you hit it right, and then the bunker shot, you overshot the pin, but you were still on the green, and then you made the birdie putt. Is that right? No, so I hit it left. Austin and I both in that left bunker. Oh, okay. And uh, I thought I hit a perfect shot, and I, like, two-hopped it over the green, and Austin hit a great bunker shot to about eight feet. And then I was short-sided in the back bunker and hit a whatever mediocre shot to 20 feet. And then made the part. So five. just about then, half the, yeah, half the crowd was gone by that. And they said they heard a roar from me making the putt. And they went, oh, crap, we got to run back. So <laughs> I thought right. that was pretty funny to see, you know, my coach and my brother have that much faith in me and uh, move on to the next. But uh, that, was a, that was a cool moment. 
it's such a terrible spot to be in as a spectator because you're like, do I stay? Do I go? Do I, what do I, it's, it's a, yeah. but, um, wow. So, you know, you have, you have the time at Michigan state where you're trying to balance. Okay. I got to take some classes. Obviously the online makes it a little bit easier, but you have college tournaments and then obviously you have these exemptions coming into play and, you know, unfortunately, obviously you missed the cut in your exemptions. I know you had a really nice, um, you know, had a nice opening round at the U.S. Open at Brookline, but ultimately you missed these cuts. Um, when does when does it become kind of a, a possibility or a reality that you're going to go to live? When when does those conversations initially start? Uh, so I remember... It was right when I got back from Hilton Head. So I played the RBC the week after the Masters. So I'm still an amateur golfer. We still got three, four events left in the college season. And my, my agent hits me up. And we still haven't signed anything to him. I'm just verbally committed to him because I'm an amateur golfer. I can't sign a professional agent at the time. Right. So he's like, hey, you know, I got something interesting for you. You know, um, you know I'm sure you've heard about Live Golf and they like to sit down and have a meeting with us. And I was like, wow, you know, I, I read a few articles the week before saying they might hit up some of the be- the better amateur players or guys who've done something. And I was like, oh, my God, they're actually contacting me. And uh, we sat or uh, we had a Zoom meeting a week later, talked out some details and just gave me a run. And it was, you know, about three, four week long uh, process. And uh, I verbally, at least verbally committed, I want to say it was before our season ended because I remember them sending a contract over that I couldn't sign. And I was sitting there playing the rest of my college season thinking like, man, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to live golf. And, you know, I couldn't tell anybody just had that in the back of my mind, but it was, uh, it was really interesting the time. And I was like, this is such a good opportunity is, you know, a college kid without any status. And, um, just, you know, for me, it was, a lot with, you know, talk, sit down with my family. And, um, you know, the big thing for me was, you know, not getting into, obviously you read online and, you know, what people think and their opinions of it. Cause at the time, you know, you already hear Jason Kokrak asked for, you know, a release to play in the London event. He was getting, the media was tearing him apart. So I sat down with, you know, my close circle, my family, uh, my golf instructor and some other people. And just was like, Hey, what do you think? And, you know, my dad being, he served in the army. And so I trusted him, you know, from a, even, you know, you get into politics and all that stuff, but they're like, Hey, this is a great opportunity for you coming out of college and such a unique opportunity to play with, you know, some of the world's best and learn from them too, on top of it, you know, and obviously, you know, you get a lot of guys saying they want to grow the game and stuff like that. And everyone has their own personal reasons, but for me, it was opportunity to grow and play with the world's best. So I'm like, and on top of it, have status right away. And, you know, it's for me, obviously, I want to earn everything I get. But, man, it was just it was too good to be true. So for me, it's I've loved every second. I've been out on the live tour. And I've got to know all these guys on a first name basis. And uh, 
you know, even drink with a few of them from time to time. We can get into that one later, but it's it's Hold been on. cool. Let, let, write, writing, it. writing it down, personal note. Drinking with best player. Got it. Okay, we're going to try and remember that one. It's going to be tough, but uh, we'll try. <laughs> drinking with players on live. I think we'll find a way to squeeze in it. So yeah, so, yeah exactly. So I, and I guess you know, getting back to the the to the, you know, without getting into all the contractual details and stuff like that. But you know, I think people that follow it a little bit. They've seen a couple players play the first event in London, then maybe in Portland, and then they're not in the field. So what were some of the things maybe, you know, again, not trying to get into specific numbers and things like that, but what were the kind of the things that as you were going back and forth that you were kind of saying, okay, this is a for me to do this, this is a must. I must have this set up. Were there those kind of conversations where you, your, yeah. your team were like, okay, Cool money, yeah, I got I got that part, but this is necessary. Yeah, so I mean, just status. Um, you know, a lot of guys. So a lot of the media too is, you know, you see a few guys play a few events and get broomed, and you know, the media portrays that as you know, like look at see, there's someone comes along that's better. But every guy who signs on board knows what they're getting. As far as you know, if you show up, play good golf, you're gonna keep to keep playing. And then also, some guys got multi-year contracts, stuff like that. So for me. Um, right now it's, I got through this year and next year, which is great. And, uh, just play your way into a next year after that is the thing. So it's, you know, good golf gets rewarded. That's pretty much the system. And I was able to sign on for, you know, a couple of years, which is great. And, um, for me, it was, uh, that was kind of the must have because, you know, you didn't know the certainty with, um, you know, what, what my career could be like after this, because there's so many great areas and, you know, what could happen with, PGA Tour stuff and all that stuff for the guys coming out of college. We didn't know. So, um, for, you know, coming out of college for me personally, it was, you know, it was a great decision. I felt like, and, you know, I love the PGA Tour too. I just, I don't like looking on social media and seeing, you know, these guys for, you know, coming at me for turning their back and stuff like that. It's like, no, I still love PGA Tour golf. I love watching it. You know, I loved all the events I play. It's nothing but positive things on the PGA Tour because it's, you know, it's the history of golf and it's been there. And one thing, too, that's about live compared to PGA Tour, it's just different. That's that's the main thing. It's, you know, we got the team aspect. It's, uh, you know, we got now they're playing some music in the background, too, when we play, which is unique. But, I mean, I love both tours. I'm still not saying you know anything negative about either side i love both sides i love you know turning on sunday and watching golf's greats play i respect good golf and you know that's that's what i love seeing out of both sides i'm, I'm glad you clarified the fact that you got two years because you know i'm watching guys like i mean like like i, I don't look i don't know these two players at all but but i looked up some numbers like blake windred Two events on live, two hundred sixty-eight thousand. Viraj Madapa from India, one event. He played the first one, hundred fifty-six. They yeah. haven't pl- they haven't played since, and I'm sure that you can see what's coming as the Bubba Watsons and the Harold Varner the Thirds and the Cam Smiths are being added to the mix. You would think someone that isn't you know, doesn't have something set up would be a little concerned, saying, "Okay, as more of these get added, you know, may, that's going to be less and less room for the guys that aren't." playing at the top of the that aren't finishing really high or don't have the the name recognition that you know a cam smith and a varner has yeah absolutely and it's the cool thing too is um they're building with the asian tour as well so it's going to work kind of like a corn fairy where 
right now there's three uh, three or four guys that actually are Asian Tour members playing the Live Tour because they got in through their point status on the Asian Tour. So that'll be kind of a building block tour to earn your way into the Live Tour. So per se, if you do get room, you could go over to Asia and try to earn your way back. And so there's, you know, it's not a closed door. And, you know, I go by the model of good golf takes care of everything in life. So, you know, one thing out here and even seeing PGA Tour, Corn Ferries, you got to earn it. So, you know, these guys know what they're walking into. And, you know, I'm sure you saw Andy Ogletree talk about it and the opportunity. It's just, um, you know, play good golf, the rest takes care of itself. And, you know, it's all the guys who have played live events. I feel like they've had a positive experience and it's been really cool from the player point of view, just the experiences and uh, where I've got to go. I mean, I've got to travel the world fresh out of college. I'd never believe this would happen to me. So it's been, uh, it's been really cool and I've loved it. What, um, and, and um, you know, the thing about it is like you had a really nice career at Michigan state, you know, big 10 freshman of the year, you won multiple times, you know, all American. Um, but you know, you know, as well as probably just as much as anyone that, you know, there's a lot of players that have similar college careers that, that you had and, you know, there's no guarantee that you're going to, you're going to make this, you're going to, you're going to make it as a professional. Um, you know, to be fair, I wouldn't consider you a bomber that can dominate any golf course in the world. I mean, I don't, and I mean, you know, the game may not, I don't think the game's leaving players behind that don't have massive length, but I also don't think the game is doing players like yourselves, like yourself, any favors either. So, um, was there a moment where when you were considering the live offer that you kind of said, all right, live is offering me this guaranteed uh, status and, and the, the money that goes along with it, you know, for you to make the same amount of money, I mean, I, and I don't know exactly what you're getting, but I, I mean, I'm looking it up. I mean, the, the leading money winner uh, on the corn Ferry tour in, uh, you know, this past year was Justin Suh. He played 24 events and he just about made $500,000. I mean, were you kind of looking at the fact of like, all right, for me to make the same amount of money that I would make at live, you would have to basically advance through Q school and finish number one on the corn Ferry tour playing in probably at least what two or three times the amount of events. I mean, were you kind of, yeah. looking, were you comparing that as well? was and you know you don't like to go into things thinking negatively as far as you know i had my tour starts and you know it's no secret i went for like over six and cuts you know so that was you know i didn't believe that i couldn't make it but it's you know it's cutthroat out there right out of college and experience uh you know get my feet under me you know i believe i'm a great player but you know seeing the guys like chris Goderup and pearson cootie like those guys can play and i mean just seeing you know them and Right now, they had to go to Corn Ferry Finals and, you know, do all that. I mean, it's to be able to have financial funding to play golf now for a long time. I mean, that takes a lot of stress off your shoulders because yeah. people, you know, you get so caught up in thinking about, you know, obviously you want to go out and just right out of the gate, make money, play great. But, you know, there's two sides of it because, I mean, for me, I, obviously the USAM is a huge chip on your shoulder and it sets you up for a great opportunity off the start, but at the same time, I'd be relying on PGA Tour sponsors exemptions where I did have the USAM on my, you know, resume, but there's also a zillion other guys who want a sponsor exemption into events. So just getting into events for one is, you know, how many cracks am I going to get at it? 
And if I don't, I'm right back to Q school. And, you know, it's it's hard. So there's a zillion players. I watch scores every week, even McKenzie, Latin America. There's so many good players out there who, you know, could play at the highest level. But, you know, just taking advantage of your shot and making the most of it. So for me, you know, having the live golf opportunity to, you know, go out there, make a name for myself, get better and better. And I want to compete. You know, it's still not. I don't like the people who say, oh, you just signed on to live golf, you know, just so because you didn't feel like you're ready for the tour. I say, no, I don't feel that way. I felt like, you know, I can compete here. I'm doing what I love to do. And then, you know, just playing alongside the greats. And the cool thing, too, is now we got Bubba Watson as a non-playing captain. And I've been able to, you know, call and text with him. And we're going to actually sit down next week because I came up to him in Boston last week after having a horrible week. There's no secret about that one. And just saying, hey, Bobo, I mean, I just want to pick your brain on what it takes to be great. You know, I just don't. It's it's cool, you know, playing decent, you know, making money. Everyone loves that. But it, for me, it's about the pursuit of winning tournaments and getting better. That's what I love about golf. It's the, the game of imperfection that it beats your brains in, but you can't sit there and dwell on the past. you got to keep moving forward. So the live golf opportunity to be on a team with some of the best players in golf, I mean, watching how they play seeing the shots they hit. I mean, even when I was out on tour, I remember at the Masters watching JT hit this wedge shot from 60 yards on a hole three. I, I would lay it back because I couldn't spin a wedge enough to stop it on the green from 60 yards. I watched him take like this half swing flip 60 degree and just one hop stop a wedge. And I looked at him like, how the heck did you do that? <laughs> and like having having the opportunity to be in a team format where I could sit there in a practice round and pick a guy's brain now on that, I mean it's so cool because every guy's been super friendly, not only on Live but PGA Tour as far as helping the young guys out, which I think is awesome. I mean I've gotten, I've actually pretty much changed. I changed my irons, my golf ball since college golf, just as far as it's a new format, new style of golf courses. Because college golf, the schedule we played, it's like most of the pins are kind of in the middle or they're not super tucked or anything like that. And like I could play the firmest ball and not spin it and hold greens and be fine. Now I'm like, all right, I need something that spins crazy amounts. My iron's got to be dialed in. It's, it's so interesting. The stuff you learn, you pick up out there and just the mindset of these guys every week, they go out and you don't see anyone hanging their head even after bad rounds. I feel like in college golf, you walk out there and you watch a team van and it's divided always because you go, you got the two, three guys who play great. The other two guys look like the only thing they want is either A or B or B to sit in their hotel room and not say a word to anyone for three hours. So it's funny just looking at the demeanor of the guys and just learning what it takes to be elite because, you know, that's that's what it's all about. I mean, you're you're playing with the top 0.001% when you get to the tour level and the, you know, it's it's really cool just being around that atmosphere. Yeah, and the one thing that I I also you know you t- I think a lot of the noise about live is is just how much money uh, you know players are getting and and all that stuff. But for you, yeah, you're getting status, you're getting you know more financial security to start your career. But you know the top five guys at the Corn Ferry Tour Championship this year: Justin Suh, Austin Eckrode, Harry Hall, Eric Cole, Dean Burmester. Great players, but they're not Dustin Johnson, they're not Joaquin Neiman, and they're not Cam Smith. And those were three of the five guys. The other ones were Lahiri and Westwood. Those are the five guys that were in the top five at Boston. That's who you have to compete against. 
So you mentioned the team environment. You know, how have these veterans, so to speak, majority of the guys out there compared to you are veterans. How have they helped you? I mean, maybe give me a, a, a specific example of maybe a Bubba Watson or or Hudson Swafford, someone that said, hey, dude, you're, you're going to be okay. I mean, well, I'll tell you a funny story, though. I went up to, you know, the live communications media team who was in charge of signing players and stuff. And after, like, week two, I was like, listen, you guys got to chill, man. These fields are getting too hard now. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, come on, guys. I'm like... <laughs> Watching DJ hit a golf ball is fun, man. I mean, he is so good. He looks like he puts it on cruise control every week, and he's just like, you look at the leaderboard, and then all of a sudden, whoop, there's Dustin Johnson at eight under par looking like, you know, he's not even playing good. But um, just as far as, you know, I'll give you a funny story about just some basic advice I got from Bubba. We're in the practice round last week. We're playing a little money match. Turk and I, Turk Pettit and I were taking on Harold Barner and Hudson Swafford in a best ball. There was a par four I had to hit a three went into last week in Boston. It was 540-yard par four, which you don't see too often in college golf. Yeah, that sounds fun. But there's a right pin. Yeah, there's a right pin. We're playing a money match, and there's trees on the right. And I got 260 into this hole. I take out a three wood and try to carve one into the right pin and hit it in the right trees. So four holes later, we're on a par five. I got three wood in my hands, and... I'm 255 out or something like that. And Bubba comes up to me. He goes, hey, you remember that three-wood you hit from 265 four holes ago? I'm like, yeah. He goes, all right, notice this pin here on the left side. He goes, you see all that space to the left? That's just easy chip, perfect. I go, yeah. He goes, all right, well, don't miss this ball right. And then he walks away. I go, thanks, man. <laughs> so, so, I mean, just the basic stuff like that, good reminders. But, um you know, for me, I like picking their mind on their, their mental set, you know, just what they're thinking about while they're playing out there. Because I've always been, I've considered myself, you know, a good college player, but I've never been a guy who's going to go out there and shoot 63 on you because it's just like my my highest score in college golf was a 79. My lowest score was a 66. But my senior year when I was an honorable mention All-American, I think I shot between 67 to 75 every round. So it's a tight disperse. But I'm like, the way I hit the ball and not score in the low 60s, I'm like, there's a mindset there. Because when they get it going, you watch them out there, it's just like one after another. I mean, I watched Siwam Kim last week shoot 63 the day after he shot an 87. And I'm like, what type of mindset do you have to have to just say to drop yesterday? Because I can tell you what, college golf, if any kid went out there and shot 87 the next day, their coach would be, you know, talking to them in the van saying, hey, just go out there, you know, just try your hardest today. Like pro golf, it's like they drop it. You don't see his head hanging after the round. He comes out there the next day and says, hey, I'm going to play good. I'm going to do my thing. And on top of that, the team environment, it's cool because he helped his team out big time. I mean, shooting seven under the next day is huge. So it feels like I'm playing college golf again in an aspect where it's like I'm not just playing for myself. I'm playing for the team. So I love it. We got a team group chat going on. I already talked a little smack with them. Now I got to start backing it up. Yeah, so I was, was going to really say, cool yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say, maybe if you're going to talk smack to a two time uh, Masters champion, you might want to, you know, make a couple more birdies. I'm just throwing that out there. It's just maybe that. Yeah, uh, I, I respect Bubba. Yeah, Harold, Harold likes running his mouth a little bit. So okay. I got to give it back to him. But, you know, we took some money off of him in a money match, actually, Turk and I. So I had that over his head. There you go. We took 200 bucks off of him in the wow. whole week. He didn't pay me up yet cash. So I'm like, hey, Harold, where's my money? Every time I saw him. So it was pretty funny, but uh, he's a great dude. And You're just going to piss it away on wings and pizza anyway. So maybe it's better he holds on to <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I live on a low budget, though. It's nice. I'm still, that's one of the questions I get a lot of people like, hey, did you buy anything yet? I'm like, my first big purchase I made, I, I bought a GC quad, you know, one of the, like, the TrackNet style ball launch monitors. And for me, that was so you like. you bought work shit. You bought stuff for work. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's the only thing I bought. And that was like pulling teeth for me. Like, I still live at home with my parents. I still practice at a public course. But like. When I bought the GC quad, I'm like, I really need this, but this is so painful for me. So I'm like, I'm still trying to live on like a college budget right now. I'm like, I like Chipotle. Like my agent actually, when we were at an event, he's like, let's go out to dinner. He's like, you pick it. I'm like, all right, cool. Longhorn Steakhouse. He's like, dude, we could go to any restaurant you want and you pick Longhorn Steakhouse. I'm like, yeah, dude, they got good steak. He's like, dude, what is wrong with you? So I'm like, that's just who I am. I mean, I'm, I'm never going to change that aspect. I love McDonald's. I love Chipotle. I love the basic stuff. So it is what it is. Oh, my God. You're like you're like basically looking to get all the endorsements that literally Happy Gilmore would get. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, give me one of those Subway, Subway Lifetime uh, uh, gift cards. I uh-huh. love it. Okay, we'll see if we can work on that for you. Um, I just thought of something. You know, people talk about all this, all the money that's floating around with Liv. Do you think, and I know it's probably early, but you're seeing these guys there. Does it appear that they're that they're playing better, knowing that there's guaranteed money? Do you think there's any difference between, or any correlation between guaranteed money when they join the tour, also additional aspects to make money because of the team format? Is that allow? Is that creating the better the better mindset, the the freer, um, maybe them freeing them up on the golf course? I mean. Maybe a dumb question. I don't know. I just just popped in my head. I'm not sure if you've seen anything like that. Yeah, you know, that was something I was curious about walking into there. And, you know, they treat it the same as every other event. You know, guys are on the range grinding. Um, you know, they're still in the routine. They're still getting in the gym. I mean, I see one of the coolest things for me is Taylor Gooch. He's been playing great. And every time I walk into the hotel after hitting some balls after a round or whatever, he's always in the gym. Like, they're always on their same routine. They want it just as much, and, you know, it's it doesn't seem like anyone's, like, more at ease or anyone's just like, hey, you know, I'm guaranteed whatever this week. I'm going to take it easy. Like, the cool, I mean, Bryson DeChambeau hits more range balls in a day than most guys do in a year. I mean, it's ridiculous watching some of their work ethics and the preparation that goes into it. So I think, you know, I can't speak personally on how they feel internally, but externally it looks like it's just the same routine. You know, they're doing what they love to do. They're playing golf and they're competing to win because, I mean, these guys are all, every guy out here wants a trophy. I mean, you know, money is nice and that's a big thing that the media pushes, but every guy wants a trophy. I mean, you know, you play for first. That's what you do. Everyone out here is a competitor. And uh, out here it's cool too. I love seeing, you know, for me, I watch – I watch from the, the crowd always. The cool part about being the 23-year-old guy who still looks like he's part of the spectator group is I could walk in the crowd and watch the trophy ceremony and everything. So now they got they make it like racing where they got the big bottles of champagne and yeah. spraying everywhere. So it's, uh yeah, watching Pat Perez, that guy celebrates like there's no tomorrow. He's, he's a great dude. So, yeah, he's one of the few guys I got to tip a few back with. So he's. He's a great guy. Oh boy, watch yourself with that guy. That's that's no uh, that, that 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 guy's a man when it comes to putting drinks back. So you might want to you know go easy. Yeah, with that I guy. can't. Yeah, I I talk a big game, but I can't hang. I'm a I'm a little dude. You could see. I mean, one fifty. I remember the first week in London when we got done with the event, 
and you know everyone you know all the media stuff and whatever it finally happens and you're like everybody was celebrating like there's no tomorrow on that when the sun or the saturday was over i remember going to the hotel lobby bar and like all these guys are drinking in there and i'm talking to like some of the big dudes i'm like hey, i could drink more than you i'm like what am i saying when i walk back to my hotel room i'm like I have no idea what I'm saying. I'm a buck fifty and five nine. I'm not a big dude. I can't put down that many. So it's uh, it's been funny from that point of view. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I can't. That's not good. Don't do that. I mean, there's like yeah. I said, they're they're they have a lot more experience drinking and celebrating than than you do. I mean, I I mean, yes, the USAM that was a that was a long night for me too. I, we're not getting into that, but but yeah, that, <laughs> but yeah, that was. Um, I guess also like, yeah, I mean, it has to be just a really cool experience being with them. Has anyone surprised you? Like just in a way of like, man, I, I thought I knew who this guy was by watching him on TV, but now that I'm actually talking to him a little bit more like, okay, this is not at all what I expected. Uh, I mean, for the most part, everybody, cause you see him as a competitor on TV and you know, you see him, in their golf mindset, you know, how composed they are on the course. You meet them in person, and you're like, wow, that guy's actually, you know, either A, a really nice dude would do anything for you, or B, that, this guy is a character. That's what I learned. Right. Like, some of these guys, yeah. I mean, I love Patrick Reed. I've gotten to hang out with quite a bit, and he's been a great dude to me. I got to play a practice round with him. You know, he's given me great advice. So, like, you know, just the images of some people you see out there and then you get them one-on-one and you're like, wow, you know, they would help me out. They'll do whatever, you know, and it's cool. I mean, I got to week one when we were on Sergio, when I was on Sergio's team with uh, David Puig or Pooch. I always mispronounce his last name. Everyone but, does, uh, don't worry. We got to go sit, yeah, we got to go sit down and have dinner with Sergio Garcia. I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. And he asked us to have dinner. I'm like, that's so cool to sit down with a golf great and just, you know, pick their brain, learn from them. And, you know, someone you watch on TV growing up and you're like, wow, you know, I have their number in my phone now. And it's like, still, I feel like if I text one of them, I'm bothering them. So I'm like, I still like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to be like a, you know, fanboy, fan just yeah. sit there. I want to, yeah, some days I want to sit there with a lawn chair and just watch, you know, DJ's range sesh. But I'm like, oh yeah, I got to compete against him this week. Yeah, so I got to right, work. So. Uh, yeah, we're both at work. I need yeah. to kind of pretend that yeah. I'm out there on, on, on holiday just kind of hanging. Yeah, exactly. So for me, you know, it's just you got I put the hours in every day and um, it's cool just being out there around them. And, you know, I get more and more comfortable just being out there. It's from my first tee shot to a professional where my hands were, you know, shaking uncontrollably. Now it's just like it feels like a college golf event where it's like, all right, it's go time. Let's tee it up. And uh, still I'm still learning the proper way to, you know, react to fans yelling random stuff at me. I don't have the Phil Mickelson patented thumbs up yet, but I'm figuring out something, you know. What, what but, are they uh, yelling at you? Um, what are they yelling at you? Well, for me, the general the general thing I get about 10 times a week is how old are you? Because I look like I'm 15 out there. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> I get that. You know, I always I like to dress with some style, so I'll throw the purple pants on and stuff like that. You'll get the comments on the outfit and then. I love, my favorite thing is, I mean, it, it makes you a little upset, but it's funny at the same time when you hit a bad golf shot, you'll just hear like the ooh from the crowd or like, I'll get once in a while, you get the people who don't have enough, have too much to drink, they're like, oh bud, you're in trouble, and I'm like, yep, I know, thank you, but <laughs> it's, it's, I love it, I think it's funny because it gets under some guys' skins, but for me, I think it's, it's really cool, and 
you know, being in that environment, you feel like you're in a stadium all the time. I know it's a small sample set, but, you know, can you compare the galleries at the PGA Tour events you played versus the live events? So it's unique in live because now with the shotgun, you know, everybody's at the course at the same time. And, you know, so some courses aren't, you know, put together well where they'll all have, you know, those few holes with the grandstands and there's people sitting there drinking, whatever, but... It's funny for me because I'll start an event. I always get like hole 10 to 13, which is the, the stretch of the course where there's zero spectators at. So I'll have like my family. It'll feel like college golf. The three guys I'm playing with will like have their family watching. And then we'll be on like, we'll be hearing like major championship roars on the other side of the crowd or other side of the course. Like, oh, yep, that's DJ making a birdie. So it's funny from that point of view. But yeah, you'll see the big crowds. I mean, Boston was, I thought, the best crowd we've had. I mean, it was crazy out there uh, with the concerts after, too. Everyone sticks around, and it's cool. I mean, I stuck around and watched DJ play a couple holes because we got done so fast my last round, and it's like it felt like a tour crowd where, you know, you kind of got to push your way through people to get a view, and uh, they've been getting better and better. So it's, it's exciting being out there and just hearing the roars and everything like that. It's, it's unique. I don't know if you're getting this as much as, as the other maybe you know bigger and more established players is there a standard response that you get or like the standard maybe complaint or criticism that you've received for going to live that i mean is it well you're not you're not doing it the traditional path or you're not you're not grinding it out on a mini tour like the other guys your age like is there a standard thing that you get and maybe how you address that because i'm sure like I said, you're you're not probably getting as as much attention as a Cam Smith does or a Harold Varner, but I'm sure you're getting something, and you have to address it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's still you got to play good golf. I mean, for me, it's you know these year if these next two year and a half goes by and I play bad golf, I'm sitting on my butt. So I tell people I still got to work for it and earn it. You know, I'm not just out there saying, "Hey, cool, I can take this shot off because I made money this week." It's you know, every week I got to go out there and play my best and prove myself because I'm not a proven bet like DJ and those guys where, you know, it matters to me. Every shot counts. So I tell people that. And then obviously social media, there's still, I don't get anyone I know personally attacking me. Everyone I know has been nothing but supportive as far as, you know, in person or online, which has been great. But, um, you know, I get people leaving comments on my posts and stuff like that. And honestly, I just don't, I don't give it the attention. You know, it's uh, unfortunately the block button comes out a little bit now because it's just like <laughs> yeah. it's more political stuff and it's never people I know. It's it's never, you know, I get golf, you know, once in a while, but, you know, it's part of the gig. Uh, you know, they come after DJ, Sergio, everybody. If you have a bad week, the average spectator at home doesn't, you know, some people don't understand it's golf and you're going to play bad. So. I, I mean, this post this past week, I, you know, I made a joke about my scorecard not looking too great. Then people are counting, yeah, plus 13 sucks. I'm like, hey, man, believe me, I know. I would love to say that, but I'm like, I'm like, all right, we just don't, I don't need the negativity, but you know, it's part of it. You know, when you get to the highest level in any profession, no matter what, even the, the guys I consider, you know, role models, like I look at Jordan Speed, and I got buddies who don't like him just because they don't like his demeanor on the course. I'm like, dude, he literally doesn't do anything wrong if you don't like him. I'm like, you're just going to, you know, it is what it is, but I'm blessed to be where I'm at playing golf and doing what I love to do. So 
if the worst thing in life I got to deal with is bogeys and uh, people commenting things about my scores being crappy on my posts, I think my life is just fine. So I've uh, I've learned to get over it, and not read too much into the social media world, and uh, just you know talk to people I like and do what I love to do. James, before I let you go, you know you and you know young players like David Pooge and Turk Pettit, you're really kind of the trailblazer, so to speak, of the uh, of the youth that has been infused into Live. Um, you know, separate of Live, what advice do you have for uh, collegiate players that are going to be coming out next year, whether or not it's PGA Tour U or uh, perhaps you know p- perhaps joining Live? I mean, for me, the biggest thing, I mean, advice-wise, I would give to college guys is just, you know, take care of your business, play the best you can, and whatever opportunities get in front of you, take advantage of them. You know, it's it's professional golf is hard. It's a big jump to go straight from college to the elite level. And, you know, seeing guys like Pearson Cootie and Chris Goddard have success, I think it's the coolest thing for me. I love watching those guys play, and I'm nothing but you know, rooting for those guys every week because it's so awesome to see young guys out there doing it. And it's just, you know, you got to be committed to a process. You got to work hard because my mentality I've adopted is like, I don't like taking days off because there's some other guy out there who's working his butt off and wants your spot. You know, if you get to that level, take advantage of it and make the most of it because it's, you know, you can't take it for granted. And it's, it's really cool to do what you love to do and travel and play golf, so enjoy it. Because, you know, especially when you're young out of college, these are the best years of your life. Not having And also not having classwork on the road is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> I, I was going to say, that, that still has to be – that has to be a nice welcome where, I mean, I, I know you had online classes, but that really must have been, you know, in all seriousness, that must have been just a lot going on. Those six months – College events, oh, school, I mean, pro, you know, pro aspiration. I mean, that had to have been kind of like, I'm so ready to be done with, with all of this. My favorite thing of the whole year was probably emailing my college professors the week of the Masters saying, hey, guys, I know you probably won't believe this, but uh, I can't take your exam this week or I won't be in class because I'm playing in the Masters in like, Thinking about typing that email out to a professor in college and thinking, do they, do they actually believe me or do they think I'm just full, you know, pulling their chain? Because of my, as a professor, if a student wrote me and was like, hey, I'm playing in the Masters, I'd be like, you're, you're so full of it. So I had to include, like, the player link in all my emails. That's fun. And I was like, I got off. Yeah, so I got off the exams and stuff like that because I was like, all right, I, I think it would be a cool story to be like, yeah, I took an exam before I teed off on Thursday, but I'm like, yeah, I don't want to deal with that. So it was, it was a it was a fun week, that's for sure. And uh, yeah, the pro golf life it's interesting when you don't have a wife or kids or a relationship and you're just there alone. You know, ah, fun right now. So it's funny, but uh, you know, I loved it. And it's uh, yeah, it's way less stressful, that's for sure, when you don't have a classwork. But uh, golf shots mean a lot more now. Uh, James, I. Um... I really appreciate you coming back, and and this was exactly what I hoped it would be. Just a really a, your perspective of the last twelve last twelve months, you know, completing your amateur career and then starting a professional career with Live. So um, I wish you the best, man, and I I really hope that uh, you find your find your footing there and um, you know help your team win at Live. And uh, yeah, well, well, we'll catch up again soon as always. And I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Absolutely, thank you so much for having me on as always. I always love following the content. Uh, you keep me in touch with college golf, so it makes me feel young still. 
And uh, looking forward to staying in touch. <laughs> yeah, makes you feel young as a 23-year-old <laughs> eating chicken wings and, and pizza. Okay, I'm glad I'm doing a service. I'm mentally young, yeah. And there you have it. Special thanks to James Pyatt for once again joining me here at the back of the range. Don't forget, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. That is where you can find out where I'm at at all times. Every single previous episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. And yes, go get some merch at thebackoftherange.com. Check out that Imperial collection. And I will see you next time here at the Back of the Range. <laughs>